Gotham Audio Theatre presents Batman, Fathers and Sons Chapter 1 Encounter at Park Row The hour is late, and the streets of Gotham City are quiet. A brewing storm keeps the evildoers crawled up in their hiding holes, and the law-abiding citizens tucked away in the warmth of their homes. Resting comfortably in the knowledge that the Dark Knight is out there, patrolling the rooftops. This unusually peaceful night allows Batman a brief moment of commemoration, for tonight is no ordinary night. Indeed, this very night marks the anniversary of the tragic murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne. Every year, Batman lays a single red rose at the very same spot on Park Row the infamous Crime Alley, where the cowardly Joe Chill gunned down his parents and changed the life of young Bruce Wayne forever. Suddenly, Batman's moment of mourning is interrupted by a cry for help. help. A lanky, tattered figure struggles to pry a designer handbag from the hands of a woman unfortunate enough to cross Park Row at this hour. Get off me! <laughs> Be cool. Just, just give me the damn purse. Behind you. Huh? Seemingly out of nowhere, a fierce right hook sends the mugger flying through the air. The woman seizes the opportunity and sprints away. Spitting blood and gasping for air, the startled thief notices a menacing silhouette in the darkness. Batman emerges slowly from the shadows and advances towards the mugger. With his back against the wall, the man has nowhere to run. Instinctively, the terrified criminal raises his arms to protect himself. No, please! I don't want to hurt anybody. Just need a fix, man. Got the shakes real bad. Don't waste your breath, filth. I've heard it all before. Filth? It is one of those peculiar moments where time seems to stand still like a split second before a car crash. Over the course of time, this mangy character has been called every demeaning word in the book. As chance would have it, a haphazard taunt uttered by none other than the Dark Knight himself is the final straw that breaks the camel's back. In that very moment, whatever shred of dignity the poor soul has left is more precious to him than avoiding any punishment Batman can dish out. The man lowers his defensive stance and stares at Batman with a serene gaze in his eyes. It is not courage nor defiance, but clarity. Not sure what to make of it, Batman hesitates just long enough for the man to voice his protest. What do you think? This is a lifestyle choice or something? Got up one morning and said to myself, hey, why don't I become a smack fiend? Live in a goddamn piss-stained cardboard box. Get trashed by some rich boy getting his jollies kicking a snout out of hobos between cocktail receptions. Hmm, got to give me some of that? Screw you, man. Much to his astonishment, Batman is caught off guard by the mugger's perceptiveness and flippant attitude. Few criminals have ever paused long enough to give the masked vigilante's true nature a second thought. No, 
It is panic that usually gets the best of them during such encounters. Yeah, man. I got you pegged. Just because I'm from the hood don't make me a fool. All that fancy hallway don't come cheap. Bet you're some thrill-seeking big-shot corporate lawyer or hedge fund manager. Let me guess. Sports, cars, hookers, and cocaine got boring after a while. Huh, well, maybe you that worthless bum Bruce Wayne. Oh, man, wouldn't that be something? Maybe you take me to the Gotham Country Club and we play 18 holes before you haul my ass to GCPD. <laughs> the mugger bursts into laughter. Despite the severity of the situation, the mere suggestion that the notoriously vain and soft billionaire playboy Bruce Wayne and the mysterious crime fighter Batman could be the same person is so absurd that he just cannot contain himself. However, seeing how Batman does not appreciate the comedy act, the amusement is short-lived. The uncharacteristically awkward Dark Knight merely states the obvious. Attempt of robbery. I'm taking you in. Do what you gotta do, man. Just so you know, I wasn't always like this. I had a wife and a baby boy. Janet and little Ray Ray. Even had a job as a loader. Know that big drug factory up on east side? Near Miller Harbor. FGP. Fairchild Global Pharmaceuticals. Yeah, that's the one. The job didn't pay much, but I was happy just to have a job after all the layoffs. Having a roof up over our head and food on the table. Then I had my accident. Crates come crashing down on me while I was loading the shelves. I kept warning my supervisor about those rusty boats, but nobody gave a damn. The FGP health plan covers just about Jack, so the doctors do the bare minimum to patch me up. Scars heal, but I'm always hurting. This weasel of a lawyer convinced me to sue FGP. Surefire win, he says. Fat lot of good it did me. Ended up wasting every last since we had. By the end, I was so high on pain meds, I barely knew what's going on. Somehow, the suits convinced the jury the accident was all my fault, so they can fire my ass without compensation. No insurance, no pills, so I turned to smack. That's when Janet moved into her mother's and took Ray with her. Can't say I blame her. Having a drooling mess of a father, that's no place for a child. So there I am, flat broke and spaced out. I miss my rent and get evicted. Lost track how long I've been living on the streets. I get by begging and stealing, just doing whatever to survive. You know, junkie like me, easy prey for cops. Into the tank and out again. Same crap over and over. Try kicking a habit when you're cold, wet, hungry, and hurting. Nah, man, just ain't happening. There was this nice doctor lady, uh, what's her name? L Leslie Tompkins, over at the uh, Thomas Wing Memorial Clinic. She examined me once. Bone fragments lodged close to a nerve or whatever. Yeah, Dr. Leslie's good people, but she ain't got the facilities for fancy surgery like that. All I'm saying, I've done some bad things. I ain't dodging that. Take responsibility like a man, you know? But you think you could do a fella a solid and hold the ass whooping just this once? Appreciating the rare opportunity to make his case, the weary delinquent falls silent waiting like a man on trial waits for the jury to reach its verdict. The Dark Knight remains stoic and imposing as ever, staring at the man behind the white lenses of his cowl. Finally, Batman breaks the tense silence. What's your name? Huh? Um, West. Curtis West. 
Gothamite, born and raised. Listen to me very carefully, Curtis West. Two days from now, you will check yourself into Gotham Central Hospital at noon. They'll be waiting for you. Fail to show up or speak to anyone about this. I'll be coming after you. What? But why? How am I supposed to pay for this? Before Curtis West can finish his question, Batman throws one of his signature smoke bombs onto the ground and vanishes into a cloud of vapor. When the smoke finally clears, Curtis finds himself staring at an empty alley in a state of confusion. <coughs> smoke throwing creepy motherfucker. The hell was that about? <coughs> End of Chapter 1 Chapter 2 Introspection at Batcave In the cold, damp darkness of his secret lair under Wayne Manor, Batman is seated in front of the Bat computer and speaking on the telephone. Meanwhile, Bruce Wayne's butler, Alfred Pennyworth, and former ward and sidekick Dick Grayson, a.k.a. the vigilante Nightwing, have entered the Batcave. Yes, that's correct. West, Curtis West. Do whatever you can to help him. Rehab, surgery, physical therapy, the works. Cost be damned. One more thing, Director. Under no circumstances are you to reveal the details of our arrangement to Mr. West. He and I, we have history. I have concerns that Mr. West will refuse treatment should he learn the identity of his benefactor. Yes, my pleasure. Good day to you as well. Alfred, please make a donation to Gotham General in Wayne Foundation's name. The usual sum. Very good, sir. Master Richard to see you. If you gentlemen are hungry, I could prepare some cucumber sandwiches. Thanks, Alf. You're the best. Dick. Sorry, I didn't see you come in. For what do we owe the pleasure? Hey, Bruce. Not just a social call, I'm afraid. I came over to pick up my spare uniform and some supplies. Laundry day? I wish. The penguin is branching out to my home turf and hired Deathstroke to handle any complications. Slade and I had ourselves a little run-in. Little run-in? That's not what the Oracle told me. Barbara blabbed, huh? Fine. It was a regular thrill in Bloodhavenilla. I was tracking one of Koppelbot's shipments and Slade managed to ambush me. Thanks to his impressive swordplay, my uniform was a little worse for wear. But I say this, stay tuned for round two. You need a hand taking him down? Just say the word. Give me a break, Bruce. The dag can't handle an old-timer like Wilson. It's time to hang up my Eskrima sticks for good and help Alfred grow orchids in the Arboretum. Never make light of Deathstroke. Slade Wilson's reputation as the world's deadliest mercenary is well-earned. Graveyards are littered with people who thought they could handle him and paid dearly for their mistake. Spare me the lecture, Dad. You know my skills and my training. You know that better than anyone. So don't talk to me like it's my first day on the job. I've put in enough hours to know better than to underestimate the likes of Deathstroke. You might not be my ward anymore. Doesn't mean I'm any less concerned about your well-being. Look, 
I appreciate the concern. I really do. Let's just leave it at that. Now, what's all this? Nightwing points to the bat computer. Curtis West's rap sheet, medical records, and court documents are displayed on the various monitors of the Dark Knight's workstation. Just some research. Had a little run-in of my own last night. Speaking of, I could use your opinion on something. That's a first. You feeling okay, Bruce? You seem unusually preoccupied and broody. Even for you. Dick, I've spent years studying forensic psychology in order to understand the criminal mind. How to predict their actions. How to intimidate them. Yet my approach to fighting crime is like that of a child. Little boys playing cops and robbers, dealing with the end result, not the principal cause. Night after night, I go out on patrol and beat criminals to a pulp, never giving a second thought why they became criminals in the first place. If you did, you could no longer function efficiently as Batman. Every crook, thug, and hustler out there has a sob story. Violent father, alcoholic mother, handsy uncle, you name it. I'm not saying it's irrelevant, but if the individual is no longer held accountable for their actions, where does it all end? No matter what awful things happened to them in the past, it's they who made the deliberate choice of committing a crime. Choice. Did they really have any? That's what I've been contemplating. There's always a choice, Bruce. The choice not to break the law. Failing that, the choice not to hurt your fellow human being. Ultimately, the responsibility is theirs and theirs alone. But where is all this coming from? I've never known you to shed any tears for the criminal element. I've met someone. A man called West. That's him up on the screen. West didn't shy away from responsibility. His criminal path was not the usual series of bad decisions. West didn't have much to begin with, but he made a life for himself and his family. Then, one fateful day, he was just at the wrong place at the wrong time. I find myself thinking about the time I was closer to your age, globetrotting, training to become a crime fighter. I experienced poverty and despair at first hand, or so I thought. In reality, it was nothing more than role-playing. Should I grow weary of my quest, Wayne Enterprise's jet was always just a phone call away. Dick, I was born to this lavish lifestyle, but you never took to it. That's why I trust your point of view in this matter to be more objective than mine. What is it that you're really asking me, Bruce? What I am asking is this. What if my war on crime is actually just a form of class warfare? Is Batman a protector or an oppressor? There have been times I question your motives. I wondered if your war on crime is just an excuse to dish out retribution for your parents' death. But at the end of the day, I believe in your mission. So does Tim and so does Barbara. Gotham City is a cesspool of crime and corruption. This city needs Batman. For now, at least. My point exactly. Batman was a response to a symptom. It's becoming evidently clear that Batman will never be a permanent cure. Hypothetically speaking, what would be? Going after the men and women in their ivory towers, the ones who use their power and wealth to bend the system in their favor without any regard for the people beneath them.
As vigilantes, we are already circumventing the legal system. We fight crime without any official sanction. The system tolerates us because we're compensating for its deficiencies. But only as long as we don't step over the line. Unless somebody breaks the law or is just about to, it's not our place to intervene. The second we appoint ourselves as the supreme moral authority and start dealing with crime preemptively, we're stepping into very dangerous territory. If you're looking to cure Gotham's crime and corruption for good, you'd be better off doing it in a pinstripe rather than a Kevlar bodysuit. You treat Bruce Wayne as nothing more than a facade, but the fact is Bruce Wayne has the capacity to make a far greater difference than Batman ever could. There's a reason why I let Lucius Fox deal with the corporate side of things. To tell you the truth, I'd rather face the entire League of Assassins in my underwear than rub shoulders with a room full of suits. Bruce, you are one of the suits. You're a suit by birthright. Own it and use it to your advantage. While Batman is left pondering Nightwing's words, Alfred has returned to the Batcave with a tray full of his legendary cucumber sandwiches. Master Bruce, Master Richard, some supper? Can't go saving the world on an empty stomach now, can we? Mmm, delicious. Sorry, I gotta run. Catch you guys later. That boy turned out all right, didn't he, Alfred? Indeed, sir. You did a rather splendid job with Master Richard. Don't sell yourself short, old friend. I think we both had a hand in the matter. End of Chapter 2 Chapter 3 Reflection at Diamond District Under the cover of darkness, Batman has found an observation post on top of a concrete gargoyle. A private party is taking place in a luxurious Diamond District penthouse apartment. A dashing, strikingly fit businessman wearing a tailored Italian suit is entertaining the entire cheerleading squad of the Gotham Wildcats. An otherwise tedious and uneventful stakeout is interrupted by a sudden radio contact from Alfred Pennyworth. Go ahead, anyone. Pardon me, sir, but may I inquire the purpose of this rather distasteful voyeurism? Reconnaissance. But of course, sir. How foolish of me to ask the bleeding obvious. And the individual who has the misfortune of being the target of your investigation? Warren Fairchild III, CEO and acting chairman of Fairchild Global Pharmaceuticals grandson of Warren Fairchild Sr., founder of the FGP's predecessor, Fairchild Incorporated. Warren III took over the family business after his father, Warren Jr., was forced to step down due to his declining health. Officially, Warren Jr. still holds the title of chairman, but for all practical purposes, Warren III is calling the shots. Ah, long line of Gothamites, the Fairchilds, According to the Chronicles, their ties with the city go back almost as long as the Wayne family. 
As you might know, your father and Warren Jr. were, in fact, business acquaintances. A medical doctor and a pharmaceutical entrepreneur. So, no great surprises there. In any case, what sort of health issues has the poor man faced? Pancreatic cancer. Warren Jr. has all the top oncologists on payroll, but from what I could gather, he's not responding well to treatments. Most unfortunate. Even though they did not always see eye to eye, Master Thomas spoke very highly of Warren Jr. Now that you mention it, I do recall him having a son about your age. If it wasn't for your parents' untimely demise, I'm sure your paths would have crossed sooner. Apparently the apple fell far from the tree. Warren III proved himself to be a far more ruthless businessman than either his father or grandfather. His first act as the new CEO was to lay off one-third of the blue-collar workforce and implement pay cuts for the rest, leaving them to pick up the slack and work twice as hard for less pay. However, FGP's great success under Warren III's tenure was Alpixin, a potent and highly addictive opioid-based pain relief substance with an immense potential for recreational use. FGP spent millions lobbying Opixin, making it the leading brand in its category within a year. Doctors rallied behind Opixin and prescribed it for just about anything but the common cold. As a result, FGP quadrupled its sales and the stock skyrocketed. Needless to say, the board and the shareholders were pleased. The patients, however, got the short end of the stick. Reports of citizens passing out in public places or while driving started piling on. Sudden lung failure or cardiac arrest on people with no prior medical history on either. The list goes on. The lucky ones end up in rehab. The less fortunate graduate to heroin and it's all downhill from there. Since no business opportunity should go to waste, FGP also made some considerable investments in the prison industry complex and actively lobbies for harsher sentences on drug-related offenses. Profiting from an epidemic that they themselves orchestrated? How quaint. Has any legal action been taken against FGP? Hundreds of lawsuits were filed. Most of them settled outside court. On the rare occasion FGP can't buy their way out of a sticky situation, they throw some mid-management flunky under the bus. Warren III himself remains untouched. A real charmer, eh? Reflection. Come again, sir? Bruce Wayne and Warren Fairchild III. Mirror images of each other, born to immense wealth and privilege, heirs to their respective dynasties. I beg to differ, sir. You and Mr. Fairchild are nothing alike. You suffered a horrible tragedy and found it in yourself to become the world's greatest detective. Warren III's childhood lacked nothing, yet he became the world's greatest pusher. That's exactly what gives me the chills about him. On the surface, he's just an ordinary man, albeit an immensely powerful one. I used to think that a homicidal maniac like the Joker is the worst humanity could produce. But even the Joker tortures and murders people just a few at a time. 
Fairchild destroys lives on an industrial scale, and he never even has to get his hands dirty. Unlike that diabolical fiend, the young Mr. Fairchild operates under the protection of law. Not that it makes him any less deserving of a proper pummeling. Perhaps knocking out a few of those immaculate pearly whites would teach the man some humility. Commissioner Gordon allows me a certain amount of leeway, but I suspect arbitrarily beating a man over his business ethics would be crossing the line. Which begs the question, sir. What exactly are you doing over there? Confirming my suspicions, mostly. I wanted to see Fairchild in his element, off guard. As Wayne Pharmaceuticals competitor, FGP has always been on my radar, but until now, I haven't had a reason to take a closer look at the man in charge. Now that I have, I'm convinced that he is the fulcrum, the anti-catalyst. If there's any hope of changing FGP from within, Warren III has to go. Assuming he could be moved aside, how would you ensure his successor won't be just as atrocious? The person who would take over. It would have to be someone I trust explicitly. With all due respect, sir, the only person you trust explicitly is yourself, and even that is up for debate. Hmm. I'd better give Lucius a call. His expertise could come in handy. Sir, must I remind you that Mr. Fox is bound to be in bed? Bruce? What can I do for you on this ungodly hour? Sorry to interrupt you in your beauty sleep, Lucius. An interesting business opportunity presented itself, and I'd like to run it by you. I'll have the plans on your desk first thing in the morning. Very well. See you in my office, 8 sharp. Good night, Bruce. End of Chapter 3 Chapter 4 Determination at Wayne Tower Bright and early at a prestigious office in Wayne Tower, Bruce Wayne is having a meeting with the Wayne Enterprises CEO, Lucius Fox. Bruce paces around impatiently as Lucius meticulously studies the documents spread all over his vintage mahogany desk. So what do you think, Lucius? Frankly, Bruce, I'd say you've lost your mind. Knowing your nocturnal proclivities, though, that would be a redundant statement. Can it be done? Liquidating the necessary funds is going to take some creative asset management. But yes, I think it can be done. You're going to have a hell of a time convincing Wayne Enterprises Board of Directors... Uh, Consider it done. Not to mention the Federal Trade Commission to play along. Got it covered. Trust me. And even if you somehow manage to pull it off, given the highly unusual circumstances, there's no predicting how the stock market will react. If this goes south... There's a good chance Wayne Enterprises will never recover. Lucius, I assure you, I'm well aware of the gravity of my proposal. Yes, I'm sure you are. So let's put the financial matters aside for a moment. You know as well as I do that Fairchild Global Pharmaceuticals is the world's largest manufacturer of opioid-based pharmaceuticals. Incidentally, 
opioids just happen to be one of the few types of drugs not found in the Wayne Pharmaceuticals product catalog. Direct consequence of categorical and unequivocal opposition of a certain gentleman by the name of Bruce Wayne. Now, all of a sudden, that very same Bruce Wayne is willing to gamble the family business, his entire legacy, only to carve a piece of the cake he never had any appetite for. Don't get me wrong, assuming everything goes as planned. This venture has potential to be very lucrative. Knowing you, though, that's not the end game, is it? Bruce walks up to the large window in Lucius's office and gazes upon the Gotham City skyline with a stern, concerned look in his eyes. You're an educated man, Lucius. You keep yourself informed on current affairs, so I'm sure you're aware of the rampant opioid epidemic all across the country. All across the world, really. Gotham City is no exception. I deal with the fallout every time I go out on patrol. It begins with unconscious soccer moms foaming at the mouth. It ends with heroin addicts stabbing school kids for their cell phones. So call it an epiphany, if you will. I came to the realization that if Wayne Enterprises, no, if I'm not part of the solution, I'm part of the problem. Not only is the system failing our citizens, the system is rigged so people like me can profit from it. Therefore, it's only people like me who can change the system from within. Lucius can't help but to give Bruce a warm, fatherly smile. Seeing Bruce's determination and sense of justice reminds him of Bruce's late father, Thomas. For a fleeting moment, the long-lost friend is once again at his presence. <laughs> I say this much about you, Bruce. You are every bit your father's son. However, there's one piece of the puzzle still missing. Warren III and his father have the majority vote. Even if we get everyone else on board, the numbers are not in our favor. So complete the picture for me. If the plan is to dethrone young Prince Fairchild, what possible incentive could you offer for the old man to play along? My proverbial ace in the hole, Wayne Foundation R&D Intellectual Property Assets. Attachment C8. There's one particular research project I believe Warren Jr. would find of special interest. Lucius glances at the document and stops abruptly. Realizing exactly what Bruce is planning, Lucius raises his eyebrows and gives Bruce a long, questioning look over his glasses. Bruce, I'm not sure I feel comfortable with this. You do realize this is highly experimental research? Months away from clinical trials, years maybe. Making promises you may not be able to deliver is morally ambiguous at best. I'm not making any promises, Lucius. All I'm offering is information. What the old man chooses to do with that information is up to him. Well, in that case, I guess I'll get right on it. End of Chapter 4 Chapter 5 Showdown at Upper West Side The boardroom is buzzing at the headquarters of Fairchild Global Pharmaceuticals. 
Notable shareholders from all over the world have been called to an emergency meeting, as Bruce Wayne himself has asked for an audience. Gracing the meeting with his presence is a rare sight indeed. A frail and withered Warren Fairchild Jr. is carried in in a wheelchair, breathing oxygen through a nasal cannula. Sitting at his father's side, an unamused Warren Fairchild III makes no effort to hide his contempt for Bruce Wayne. Mr. Chairman, esteemed board members, ladies and gentlemen, how are you all this fine morning? First of all, I would like to thank you for giving me this opportunity Enough to- with the pleasantries, Wayne. Everyone in the room knows you've just bought about every FGP stock available on the free market. Stop wasting your time and explain yourself. Patience, son. Let's hear what Mr. Wayne has to say. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Yes, it's true. Wayne Enterprises has indeed acquired a substantial share of Fairchild Global Pharmaceuticals. We want to demonstrate our commitment to the future of FGP. However, it is our hope that this acquisition is only the first step towards something greater. Fact of the matter is, Wayne Pharmaceuticals has the most extensive patent portfolio in the business. FGP's manufacturing capacity, logistics, and distribution network is without equal. Put the two together, and you might as well have a license to print money. Therefore, with the mandate of the Wayne Enterprises Board of Directors, I'm proposing a merger between Fairchild Global Pharmaceuticals and Wayne Enterprises subsidiary, Wayne Pharmaceuticals. A shocked gasp is both heard and felt throughout the boardroom. Bruce Wayne pauses for dramatic effect and lets the gravity of his proposal sink in. Each one of you has been handed a folder containing the specifics of Wayne Enterprises' offer. If you would be so kind as to examine the cover letter, you'll find projections of the value increase of your holdings after the merger. Please note that in addition to Wayne Pharmaceuticals' patent portfolio, Wayne Enterprises grants you access to all its medical-related intellectual property assets, including Wayne Foundation's R&D programs. You'll find a comprehensive list in attachment C8. Still in disbelief, a hardened businesswoman and the matriarch of the Yamashita clan, Akari Yamashita, voices the thoughts of every shareholder. Younger man, we're all aware of your aversion towards FGP and the manner we conduct the business. I don't believe for a minute you just had a change of heart, and frankly, I do not care for being patronized. Tell us. Mr. Wayne, what's the catch? Yurushite, Yamata-san. No disrespect was intended on my part. The proposal does indeed come with certain conditions. The board and the ruling majority of the shareholders must agree on the following action points, or the deal is off. Action point one. Roadmap for retiring Opixin, including revised guidelines for prescribing Opixin or any opioid-based substance. Action point two, fixed percentage of profits will be assigned to fund rehabilitation centers, free clinics, and urban outreach programs. Action point three, all the employees that were laid off will be rehired, and if necessary, retrained with full pay. 
reduced employee salaries will be reinstated to their former level and given an additional 25% raise. Action point four, upgraded employee medical plan and insurance coverage. Action point five, no more lobbying for harsher sentences for minor drug-related offenses, such as possession for personal use. Warren Fairchild III has been suspiciously quiet all this time. In truth, he deems Bruce Wayne's demands so ludicrous they don't even warrant a response beyond the occasional eye roll. Sixth and final action point, termination of employment, specifically the immediate dismissal of current CEO Warren Fairchild III. Oh, this is just priceless. You've lost your mind, Wayne. How curious. You're the second person this week to say that, Warren. Shall we put the motion to a vote? All those in favor, please raise your hands. The room falls dead silent. The tension is almost unbearable. After what seems like an eternity, the unthinkable happens. Slowly, timidly, one after another, hands begin to raise. Eventually, every single board member and shareholder, except Warren III and his father, are holding up their hands. Have you ingrates taken a leave of your senses? My family built this company. I made every single person in this room rich beyond your wildest dreams. And now I'm making them even richer. Wealth inspires poor loyalty, Warren. Oh, to hell with you, Wayne. Father and I have the majority vote. All this posturing is meaningless. As if oblivious to all the drama taking place around him, the sickly Warren Fairchild Jr. carefully studies attachment C8. To everyone's shock, most of all his son, the chairman raises his shaking hand in agreement. Father, what are you doing? This is madness. Quickly realizing that his father's inexplicable behavior has got something to do with the document, Warren III grabs the paper from his father's hands and skims through it. What is this? Experimental cancer research? You can't be serious. You'd betray your own son for a faint promise of what? A few more months? A few more years? Your weakness sickens me. I thought you a greater man. Unfazed by his son's scorn and outrage, a wheezing and coughing Warren Jr. turns to Bruce. <clears throat> I was there that day, you know. <laughs> At the funeral. You probably don't remember me. Why would you really? You were just a little boy. <clears throat> Devastated by the loss of your parents. I was merely one of the countless business acquaintances your father, God rest his soul, amassed over the years. I would not presume to call Thomas a friend, but we shared a mutual respect for each other. Your father was the closest thing I had to a moral compass. <laughs> Not that I would have given him the satisfaction of admitting it to his face. 
Yes. If I could look the high and mighty Thomas Wayne square in the eyes, I knew I had a solid moral foundation. Solid enough to sleep at night, at the very least. After Thomas's demise, the shades of gray became harder to tell apart. What's worse? <laughs> I found myself no longer able to deny my son of anything. Every time I saw disappointment in Warren's eyes, I remembered you standing in front of your parents' graves. I can't even begin to imagine how alone and abandoned you must have felt. It broke my heart thinking my son could feel the same way, even if just for a moment. As you stand there before me, I find myself thinking the same words I was thinking all those years ago. Such a brave boy. Thomas would have been so proud. As I look upon the empire we've built, I no longer feel proud much of anything. I'm just glad Thomas is no longer here to see it. Coming to terms with one's own impending death, it offers insights. It took me a lifetime to admit to myself how envious and bitter I was. <laughs> how I would never inspire half the respect and admiration your father did. What really keeps me awake at night, though is that Thomas Wayne had only eight short years with his son. And somehow, that pompous bastard still managed to be a better father than I ever was. Warren Jr. turns to his infuriated son and speaks to him as softly and lovingly as he possibly can, hoping his son would someday understand the chairman's unfathomable decision. Wally, I'm sorry I failed you as a father. You're my son, and I'll always love you for it. <coughs> but I can no longer sit idly by. I don't have much time left, and I refuse to go to my grave knowing my life's work has been steered down this road. Rather unceremoniously, not quite yet grasping the situation, Warren Fairchild III stands up and makes his exit without uttering a word. It is as if his massive ego won't allow his mind to accept what has just transpired. Warren Jr. makes no attempt to stop his son. Instead, he addresses the board and the shareholders. My friends, while I'm under no illusion that many of you are still driven by the same insatiable greed as you ever were, this is a decision we can all be proud of. <laughs> Having said that, in order to stay true to our newly found course, it's time for a fresh perspective. Tell me, Mr. Wayne, do you have children of your own? Yes, sir. In a manner of speaking, I have an adopted ward, a brilliant young man named Richard. 
than Mr. Wayne. From one father to another, I want your word. Never let this company turn into something you'd be ashamed to pass on to Richard. For that, you have my word, sir. It's settled then. As my last act in the capacity of chairman, I nominate Bruce Wayne as the CEO of Wayne Fairchild Pharmaceuticals. <laughs> All those in favor, please raise your hands. End of Chapter 5 Chapter 6 Atonement at Gotham General Several weeks have passed since the nocturnal encounter with Batman at Park Row. Curtis West is making an excellent recovery at the Gotham General Hospital. Curtis has been weaned off heroin and undergone extensive surgery and physical therapy. The injuries he sustained while working as a warehouse loader for Fairchild Global Pharmaceuticals have finally been healed. As far as Curtis knows, the most exciting thing tonight has in store for him is polishing off a cup of strawberry jello. A sudden knock on the door is about to prove otherwise. Good evening, Mr. West. How are you doing? Like a new man, brother, like a new man. Squeaky clean and fit as a fiddle now that they fixed my back. You with the hospital administration or something? Uh, no, sir. Here's my card. The name's Goldstein. Harold Goldstein. I'm an attorney at law and a senior partner at Goldstein and Dawes. Our office represents the newly formed Wayne Fairchild Pharmaceuticals. Fairchild? Oh, hell no. I'm done with you crooks, so leave me alone. Nurse! Nurse! Please calm down, sir. I'm afraid you got the wrong impression. Allow me to explain. Fine. You got it. Exactly. One minute. Harold Goldstein pulls up a chair and sits down to meet Curtis at eye level. With a sincerity and warmth uncharacteristic to a lawyer, he utters the words that Curtis would not have expected to hear in a million years. You see, Mr. West, Wayne Fairchild's new CEO, Bruce Wayne, has authorized me to deliver a message to you. Mr. Wayne apologizes that he's not able to meet you in person, as he's otherwise engaged. As part of the recent merger between Wayne Pharmaceuticals and Fairchild Global Pharmaceuticals, we've been going through some of our old cases, yours included. After reviewing your case, Wayne Fairchild Pharmaceuticals has decided to accept full responsibility for the, uh, gross negligence that resulted in your accident. On behalf of Mr. Wayne and the company, we want to offer you our sincerest apology. Not only did we fail our uh, moral obligation to our employee, we used our considerable influence and resources to escape due legal responsibility. For that, we offer no excuse and simply ask for your forgiveness. Not used to showing vulnerability, Curtis West does his best to keep up a nonchalant appearance. However, the apology and being recognized as a human being for the first time in ages proves overwhelming. Well, 
Well, it's about damn time, if you ask me. We would like to offer you this check as compensation for all the hardship that you've endured and help you to get back on your feet. Once you're discharged from the hospital and feel well enough to return, your old job will be waiting for you. With a notable pay raise, I might add. We can go over the paperwork later, but first, there's someone who'd like to meet you. Mrs. West? Curtis West turns his eyes towards the woman standing in the doorway. A little boy clutches his mother and peeks timidly at Curtis behind her leg. Jenny? Ray? Hello, Curtis. It's good to see you. Ray, this is your daddy. Go on. You can say hi to him. Hi, daddy. For a moment, Curtis West is unable to utter a word. Then he breaks down in tears. Oh my God. It's so good to see you guys. Ray's so grown up. God. Janet, I'm so sorry about everything. I'm sorry I couldn't be the husband or father you and Ray deserved. I... Baby, stop. I won't hear none of that. You have to know that I never stopped loving you. I just couldn't have Ray around you no more, the state you were in. All I ever wanted was you to stop hurting yourself so the three of us could be together again. For the longest, I kept telling myself, this is just a detour. Kept telling myself, I'm on my way home. Before I knew it, home became wherever the needle marks. It's going to be different from now. I promise. Someone just gave me a break. Show me there's still good people left in Gotham. Look. Look at this check the lawyer man just gave me. We could start all over. We could be a real family again. Wayne? That worthless bum? Holy smokes, he sure is in my good books now. Well, I don't know. He still owes me a round at the Gotham Country Club. <laughs> Say what now? Forget it. I'm just being a goof. Now come here, you two. Ray, give your old man a hug. Meanwhile, unbeknownst to the West family, Batman has been observing the events from a nearby rooftop using a parabolic microphone embedded in his cowl. Shame you weren't able to deliver the good news yourself, sir. Couldn't risk it. Last time we met, West was a bit too perceptive for my liking. Always the pragmatist, eh? Nonetheless, sir, the reason I contacted you is because there's something on the news. The Fairchild family has just issued a press release. I regret to inform you that Warren Fairchild Jr. has passed away last night. The release states he died peacefully in his sleep. I see. Thanks for letting me know. Mr. Fox has asked me to pass along a message that he has expressed condolences on behalf of Wayne Enterprises. Good old Lucius. Always taking the initiative. There was something else Mr. Fox mentioned. It would appear that the late Mr. Fairchild and his people never requested access to the Wayne Foundation's research data even though they were legally entitled to do so. He must have had his reasons. Maybe it was just too late for him. Or maybe he was finally at peace 
now that his legacy is in good hands. I guess we'll never know. In any case, let's just be thankful it was not too late for the West family. Batman out. Sir? Something more, Penny One? Bruce, son, there's something I need you to do before you rush into the night and plunge yourself into another spectacle of violence. I need you to take a good look at Curtis, Janet, and Raymond. I need you to look and always remember what you did for that family. That is your true reflection. That is the mirror image I want you to see whenever you doubt yourself or your mission. You see, a long time ago, I made a promise to your parents that I would keep you safe, while it pains me that you don the cowl every night and put yourself in harm's way, I've accepted that the cowl can be a powerful tool, just like the family fortune. Batman or Bruce Wayne, it does not matter. What matters is that you, like your father, are a good man. There may come a time you lose faith in yourself, but know that I never will. Know that I am, and always will be, proud of you. Proud of the man you grew up to be. Batman opens his mouth to speak, but words fail him. None is required. It's all right, sir. There are words we speak out loud and words we speak in our hearts. Please excuse an old fool for this sentimental outburst. <coughs> now, shall we get down to business? The police scanner indicates a bank robbery in progress on financial district. The perpetrators are making their getaway via the Fifth Avenue, sending optimal approach vector to your cowl now. Roger. Moving in to intercept. And Alfred? Yes, sir. You did a rather splendid job, too. The End